Have your Bible open to the book of Romans in the New Testament. This morning, I spoke to us to urge us to talk to people we know who are not Christians. As you become engaged in that good work of personal evangelism, if you're talking to someone familiar with the Bible, but not a member of the Lord's church, a good approach is to read and study the book of Romans with that person. Maybe not in every case, but if personal evangelism is our challenge, we need to explore various ways to become engaged with people. And if we're talking to someone and they already have some Bible knowledge, the book of Romans can be useful in our efforts to convert people. Let me take you through tonight five sections in the book of Romans. I mentioned to you earlier before the reading that in my younger years I always heard that the book of Romans was one of the most difficult books in the New Testament. Then I started reading the book of Romans over and over several times and I picked up on the sequence of Paul's arguments and writing and it just all came very clear to me that it is not one of the most difficult books of the New Testament. We may reserve that claim for Revelation. Romans, when you read it and observe the sequence of how Paul writes this all out, it becomes very clear. And I've detected five sections in sequence, and this helps me in the study of the book of Romans. The problem is addressed first in the opening chapters. And the problem is, of course, sin. Before having a good understanding of God's solution... It is necessary to have a good grasp and conviction of what our problem is. We appreciate and we embrace the solution to the extent that we understand and acknowledge what our problem is. And it's sin. It's our sin. Paul doesn't leave anyone out. In the first three chapters, Paul documents the problem in the human race, it is sin. He starts with what might be called an indictment in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's an indictment and the content of that indictment is all are guilty of sin. Jewish background, Gentile background, male or female, whatever nationality, whatever bloodline, sin is the problem in the human race. And Paul develops this <coughs> beginning with chapter 1 in verse 18 over to... Notice in chapter 3, verse 23, the conclusion to this line of argument. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. So this is how the book of Romans begins. The sequence is very simple and makes the book of Romans understandable. Paul says, first of all, let's understand what our problem is. Now, the world at that time was segregated. Jews and Gentiles. Paul affirms, no matter, Jew or Gentile, all stand guilty before God. So beginning at chapter 1, verse 18, he goes through this indictment of all being guilty of sin. And he specifies a variety of sins. Notice down in verse 24. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God about uh, uh, the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. And then he goes through all of these sins. He describes in verse twenty-six dishonorable passions. Women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. And if you look down at verse 29, this indictment is very specific. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malicious, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's an indictment against the Gentiles about their transgressive behavior. Now, the Jews are listening to this, are reading this. Proud, nationalistic Jews might say, see, I told you. Those Gentiles, we've always known how depraved and ungodly those Gentiles are. We are not Gentiles, we are Jews. But notice, Paul says, in effect, hold on, my Jewish countrymen. You are also a part of this indictment. In chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So Paul is saying to the Jews, when you read the list of sins the Gentiles are known for, do not elevate yourself in your own mind to some level of exaltation and pride because, Paul says, you practice the very same things. And this moves over to... The conclusion 
in chapter 3 and verse 23. And that conclusion is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the book of Romans begins very simply with an indictment. Paul states what the problem is in the human race. It is sin. Jew or Gentile, the problem is sin. Next, there is the solution. And I'm going to call that God's provision for man to escape the consequences and the practice of sin. God's provision of righteousness in Christ who died for sinners to be saved from their sin. I want to read some of this in 3, chapter 3, verse 21. Be listening for that transition from problem to solution. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You hear there the movement from problem to solution. So Romans teaches there is a problem, but God has made a provision through Jesus Christ for man to escape that behavior and the consequences of sin. God's grace is the source of that solution. Now, once you embrace God's gift of grace and you are responsive in confessing faith in Christ, repenting and being baptized, after baptism, what do you do then? You walk in newness of life. Chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God not only makes provision for us to get out of sin, he gives us through Christ the power to walk in newness of life. And that section begins in chapter 6 and continues all the way over to the end of chapter 8. The power of God that works in believers to keep us out of the sin that we were guilty of. Chapters 9 through 11 
I think are probably the most difficult chapters in the book of Romans. And I call this the predicament. Paul is addressing a predicament in this section. And that means the difficulties that arose between Jews and Gentiles. The gospel of Christ is for all, so both Jews and Gentiles respond to the gospel, and now they find themselves together for the first time. There were Jews who didn't understand this, or didn't like this. And the Jews might have mumbled to themselves, they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they don't eat what we eat and they smell bad. There were Gentiles who didn't understand this. These people are so different. Their habits, their history, their home life, their speech. So chapters 9 through 11 are devoted to those issues of conflict between Jews and Gentiles who for the first time in responding to the gospel are together. And the response of Paul to this problem has emphasis on what could be called the sovereignty of God. And that is to say, this was and is God's plan for all to hear the gospel and for Jews and non-Jews, for all to hear the gospel and in their response come together in the family of God. The key word in verse 32 of chapter 11 is all. The gospel is for all. We have no right to argue with God about that. I want you to listen to a section here in chapter 11, 32 to 36. 32 to 36 in chapter 11. For God has consigned all to disobedience. That goes back to the problem that all have. That he may have mercy on all. And then Paul says, almost in poetic or hymn format. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The key word there is all in verse 32. The gospel is for all. We have no right to argue with God about that. Jews must accept the Gentiles who responded to Christ. Gentiles who responded to Christ must show respect and affection for Jews because they're all now in the same family. And Paul uses some imagery in chapter 11 to describe Jews and Gentiles in the same family. He says they're all part of the same tree. And it's God's tree. Then, the final section in the book of Romans is about the practice of righteousness. The obligations. 
the relationships, the principles that must operate in the lives of Christians on a daily basis. Listen to how this begins. In chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And notice as you continue to read into chapter 12, the practical section punctuates the simple duties of Christians. Down at verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Chapter 13, our obligation in regard to civil government. The end of chapter 13, our obligation to love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Chapter 14 is about how we keep opinions from, in, from intruding into our relationships. Chapter 15, the example of Christ is how the chapter begins and it all ends with the hope that both Jews and Gentiles have. How God's people live right with God and therefore live in peaceful relationships with one another. So you got a problem. God's provision that is responsive to that problem, the power to walk in newness of life that God supplies for his people, the predicament between Jews and Gentiles, and then in chapter 12 through 16, the practice of righteousness. This is not the only way to study and look at the book of Romans, but this sequence helps me put the book of Romans in a good place in my mind and in my life. Here's another way to look at the book of Romans. The gospel is for all, everyone. The gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. We do not earn such consideration. The gospel is God's plan, not man's. It concerns his son. It ought to be expressed in how we live, Romans chapter 12. The gospel is not to be confused with personal opinions. And the gospel is the basis of our unity. And here's, of course, where we want to take all this. We want our friends and neighbors to recognize that God is above all. The Bible is his word. Christ is the son of God. Sin is the problem. Christ is the solution. We want to show people what the New Testament says about hearing that message, confessing your faith in Christ, repenting, 
and being baptized and living faithfully. The book of Romans. Read it. Observe the sequence and use that in your outreach to others. Let's be standing as we sing.